and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. We are talking about, um, in my teachings, dealing with the devil. We started that two weeks ago. Uh, We are not finished with it. And I just want to open up God's word concerning this. And I I pray that his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path and that it helps you see uh, how to walk in freedom. Because wherever the the enemy is, there is bondage. Um, He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you can learn to see how he operates in your life, then you can learn how to stop him. And you can learn how the Bible says to resist him. You can learn how. But if you don't see him and you don't know his devices, um, he will have free course in your life and it will put you in bondage. And God wants you walking in truth, which gets you in freedom. And so uh, we're going to open up God's word concerning this. So uh, if you brought your Bibles, let's open them up to the book of 1 Peter tonight. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. I just want to build a little foundation and then we'll, we'll start with the scripture we ended on. Uh, two weeks ago. First Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look here in verse number 8. First Peter 5 and 8. My pages are sticking together. There we go. Peter says, be of a sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary. Now, notice that. Your adversary. So this is not like just my adversary. Or the, the person that you, you know, see in Walmart's adversary. You have an adversary. You have someone who is trying to oppose you. Stop you. Hurt you. Hinder you. Your adversary. And once again, the goal of this is to expose him so that you see you're wrestling with more than just you. I can't tell you how many people, like I counsel, who think they are just the problem. Uh, Pastor Joel, I'm just so, and then they they name all the labels, so undisciplined, um, so lazy, so whatever, so disappointed in myself. And they literally see themselves as just the problem. And they think that the only adversary that they have is themselves. And this is the name of the game of the devil, because if you don't see your adversary, you won't resist him. And if you don't resist him, he will continually make you walk around the same mountain, getting more and more frustrated with yourself in life, instead of seeing him, that he's the reason why you're there, and actively combating him. And so the first step in dealing with the devil is understanding scripture. And scripture clearly teaches you, you have an adversary. And he says, be sober, like, so be level-headed, be, be aware, be alert that your adversary, and notice who it is, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Um, So notice he says, you have an adversary, resist him standing strong in the faith. And we said the problem is, is when people think of the devil, they go to two extremes. It's like everything is the devil and they over-spiritualize everything. Or over here, nothing's the devil and it's just all me and crazy people. And so you have these two extremes and the Bible is right here in the center, is that there are people who are like filled with him and absolutely need to be dealt with, with spiritual authority, and to have things cast out. But that's way over here. 
right here in the middle is when you see the devil from the beginning of time, you don't see him in possession or, you know, the movies like you see with the exorcist or any of those types of things. You see him giving people thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and they don't even know they're talking to him. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and he competes for one thing, influence in the earth to build an ideology in your mind that takes you away from God and the plan he has for your life. Literally, wherever you see influence, there he is. Now, in our culture, you're more familiar, this generation especially, more familiar with influence than ever before because we have these things called influencers. And and basically, they're doing nothing else but building up a platform to move you into making a specific decision about where you spend your time and where you spend your money. And so they have a spotlight on them, and their goal is to build an ideology in you. And somebody says, you know, well, what's ideology? It's just your mental map. And somebody says, well, what is your mental map? We covered this two weeks ago, but just for the sake of those who might not be here, and for all of us, it would do us well to hear it again, is everyone in this place has a mental map. If I asked you, what's the quickest route to get home, your home, you would have a mental map on how to get there. If I asked you, where's the best coffee shop, you would have a mental map on like what that is. If I want steak in Jackson, where do I go? You would have a mental map on like where that would be. And that mental map is your ideology. But that's not just controlling where you eat steak. It's controlling where you spend your money, how you spend your money, what you do with your time, what you watch, what you should watch, uh, what's the newest show on Netflix, and is it good or is it not good? You have a mental mapping there. And what Satan understands is if he can control your mental mapping or your ideology, he can control your life. And if he can do that with enough people, he can control the world. And so he builds influence in the earth uh, to get doctrine, teaching, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions in the earth. And we see this origin with Eve, is Eve is in a battle, and she doesn't even know she's in one. Because when you're in a battle with Satan, oftentimes you don't know you're in a battle with him. And he comes to this place, and he's feeding her thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that God's not for her, that God is trying to keep something from her, that God has lied to her, and that it would actually be good for her to do what God said not to do. And so he's, he's not just attacking God, he's attacking, and this is so key, he's not just attacking God, he's attacking God's ideology. God says this is bad, and he's like, nope, God has lied to you, this is actually good. Okay, What God has said about this is wrong. And he's actually trying to keep something from you. This is actually good for you. And as soon as she believes the lie, and and I'm going to say this probably five times before the message is over, the lie became her truth. She thought on the lie until it became her truth, that God is trying to keep something from me. And I know he said don't do this, but I think he's actually trying to, you know, discourage me from doing what's best for me. And I think this is actually better for me than he's letting on. And so now God's truth is a lie, and and this thought has become her truth, and she acts on it. And when she does, all of this consequence hits her life. And and she's left with like a marital uh, situation that's beginning to be dysfunctional. Uh, The sons that they conceive, one of them kills the other. All this pain comes into her family. All this pain comes into her life. How? Satan didn't like fill her. It wasn't like wrestling with possession. He attacked her mind, her thoughts, ideas, and suggestions until his lie became her truth. And when she acted on it, it hurt everything. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, here's the thing you got to understand about your adversary. Your adversary hates God, but he knows he can't fight him because he tried that once and he lost big time. So now his goal is not to fight God. His goal is to hurt God. And as a father, nothing hurts me more than if you mess with my family. It's one thing for me to be sick. It's a whole other thing for my child to be sick. It's one thing for you to talk about me. It's a whole other thing. Come on, somebody, for you to talk about my wife. Like, oh, lay down, dead man. Like, I I mean, like, oh, man, I'll come for you. And then God will have to restrain me. Uh, But but out of that, like, like, you mess with my family. 
It hurts me. And so Satan is coming to hurt God. And the way, of course, he'll do that is by convincing you God is not who God says he is. And he's actually something else to take you away from God. Because nothing would hurt my heart more than if my kids thought I didn't love them. And then he tries to take your life and put it over into pain. uh, Where God has to sit in heaven and watch you suffer. Knowing he paid the price for you to be free. And the way he gets you to do that and to move you into that place where now you're running from God and in pain is he attacks your ideas in three areas. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Three things Satan is trying to attack in your life. Number one, who is God? I like what A.W. Tozer said. What you think about God is probably the most important thing about you. What you think about God is probably the most important thing about you. Who is God? Is he a father? Um, Is he distant? Is he loving? Is he angry? Is he mad at you? Um, Your doctrine and your belief about God, he's coming for that. Second thing is, is who are you? And he's coming for that ideology. And like I said, uh, today in our marriage teaching, um, you can listen to the podcast if you weren't here for that. He does that by feeding you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions about who you are that are rooted in lies, and all of them limit you. And all of them try to convince you that, like Moses, you're not enough. So don't even try. So who is God? Who are you? And then thirdly, how to live your life. So he's coming to build ideology about those three things. Who is God? Who you are? And what, how, do, how do I live life? Like, how do I handle money? How do I handle an enemy? How do I raise kids? What's marriage look like? All of these kinds of things. He's coming for those three things. And he's giving us lies, thoughts, suggestions, all of these things to take those three things and twist them to bring hurt into your life and God's. And so this is the enemy. He's, he's dealing with our thought life, and we need to be aware of his schemes. Now, one of the scriptures we looked at two weeks ago, and we ended with it, so we'll pick up with it here, is in John. John chapter 8. And here Jesus is going to say something that we quote all the time, but oftentimes I, I think most people have no idea what they're saying when they quote this verse. Uh, and so we want to remedy that. John chapter 8 and verse number 31. So Jesus was was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then truly you are disciples of mine. Now, notice what Jesus uh, says a disciple is. It is someone who is continuing in his word. Now, I'll ask this, and this will kind of be the place where we end tonight as well. How much attention do you give to the word of God? If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, I'll, I'll ask this question a little bit deeper because you're the Sunday night church and you can handle it. This is for the deep sheep. How much time do you give God's word compared to Netflix? Because Compa- it's not just a show, right? It's an ideology. It's a way to think about family. It's a way to think about an enemy. It's a way to think about a woman. It's not just entertainment. It's an ideology. Wherever there is influence, there the enemy is. And so it's not like I'm not one of those guys. Like I grew up in a home where like PG meant pure garbage. It's like we're not watching that. Uh, Like that kind of thing. And I'm really almost thankful for it because like there were, were good lessons that I learned there. I'm like 13 and figuring out, wait, it means parental guidance, not pure garbage? Like that type of thing. I'm like, wow, there's a whole new collection of movies that can be seen. Uh, so I'm not one of those guys. Like even with my children, I always tell them like when it comes to music, listen to the lyrics. Listen to the lyrics. I can remember years ago, like this song, you know, I was going through my kids' music and, you know, trying to teach them on this. And there was this song, Young, Dumb, Broke, High School Kids. And think about that ideology playing in your head all the time. Uh, What scripture, what truth from the Lord does that have? So it's not just music. It's ideology. And it's all sent uh, to bring some type of limiter, some type of thing in your heart that takes away who God is to you, who you are and what you can do in Christ, and how to live your life. 
And so out of this, it's, it's not just like stop paying attention to the world. It's like, no, like God, God wants you to have fun and those types of things. But if you are his disciple, Jesus said, you do something. And what is it that I do? What is it that you do? If you really want to be a disciple of Jesus, what do you do? You continue in his word. And so his word is forming the basis of your ideology. Well, how do I deal with an enemy? What does God's word say? How do I handle money? What does God's word say? How do I raise kids? What does God's word say? How do I treat my wife? What does God's word say? Um, What do I do with possessions? What does God's word say? And so if you are God's disciple, what you're saying is, is I want the mind of Christ. So how Christ thinks about these things is how I am going to think about these things. How he thinks about young women is how I will think about women. How he thinks about older women is how I will think about older women. How he thinks about young men is how I will think about young men. How he thinks about faith and fear is how I will think about faith and fear. So Jesus said, if you are coming to be a disciple of mine, you you are not just taking on um, my... um, a love for me or worship of me, you are continuing in my word. Jesus made this statement. He said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, uh, laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, His yoke, literally, um, Jesus, that, that term, take my yoke upon you, means teaching. Take my teaching upon you. Why did Jesus not start his ministry until 30? That's when you could be a rabbi. Why were all of his disciples teenagers? Because a rabbi, when they turned 30, could begin discipling the next generation. And so Jesus comes to all of these teenagers, and instead of them picking like from all these other rabbis, because there were many, uh, Jesus asked them to come and follow me. Follow me and I will make you into something. But he noticed their ideology was wearing them out. And so he says, here's what you need to do. You need to take my teachings upon you. And my, my yoke, and if you came and you submitted yourself to a rabbi, it would call be taking their yoke upon you. Take my teaching upon you, because when this teaching comes upon you, you will have rest unto your souls. It leads to life, which is Jesus' next point. Uh, So Jesus was saying unto the the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So uh, oftentimes we quote that. The truth will make you free. Just tell the truth, and it will make you free. Well, that's a half-truth, not a whole truth. Because your truth could be rooted in a lie. You don't know the truth until you've continued in his word. And the more you continue in his word, the more the truth will set you free. So it's not just tell your truth of like, I was an addict and I'm telling you about my addiction. Well, that's, that's helpful. Like when you can come and you can be open about that, you can find freedom by admission. But it's not just I'm telling the truth about my addiction. It's I'm telling the truth about what Jesus says about my addiction. What does his word say in this? What does his power, what's its capability in my life? And when I know how he thinks about it, when I operate in that, that truth can then set me free. Does that make sense? And so out of this, he's saying, continue in my word, and the more you give attention and time to my word, the more my words will begin working freedom in you. This ideology will set you free. And they answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Once again, how is the son making us free? He's making us free by us continuing in his his word, learning his truth, and then his truth is setting us free. It's not just some like magic touch. It's, It's getting a mind renewal on what his truth is. And the more my mind comes into subjection to his truth, the more freedom I begin walking in. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants and you seek to kill me. Watch this. This is all his teaching because my word has no place in you. He's saying my teaching, my ideology, you're not even open to it. 
There's, there's no part of it that you want to hear or want to operate in. Um, and then he says, I speak of things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Now, he's going to, to liken here two fathers. He's like, where is my teaching coming from? My teaching, my, ideolo- my ideology, and once again, we said this two weeks ago, what was Jesus constantly saying? You have heard, but now I say unto you. You've heard, do this, but now I say, that was wrong. That wasn't from God. Now I say unto you, do this. And so what, what he's coming to in this place is that there are two fathers of all information. That there is a father of God who is bringing truth, but there's another father who is actually, in these very religious people, giving them their set of beliefs that they are governing their life by. And watch what he says that father is. And they answered him and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, if you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, it's God. And Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth from God. I have come not on my own initiative, but God sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying to you? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of, watch this, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Now, watch this in verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. So in their hearts right now, they don't like Jesus so much. And do we not see this even in the political world today? That there is so much contention there. If you don't believe like I believe, I just almost want get, to get rid of you off the earth. And this thought of like so much hatred and contention where there, listen to me, where there is strife, there is the devil. God is love. Where strife is, James says, there is every evil work. Strife is the manifest presence of the devil. And we see people walk in it all the time. And here, they had this thought of like, we just want to get rid of you. And he said, let me tell you where that thought is coming from. It's coming from your father. And you don't even, even see you're in a battle. And you don't even see he's there. And you don't even see he's the one who's making you think those thoughts. And you don't even see who you're fellowshipping with and what you're fellowshipping with. But these desires that are in your heart, it's not just because you're a bad person. These desires are in your heart because you have an enemy in your life who's going undetected. And he is putting desires in you to take your life off track and to get you to do something that will absolutely hurt others and hurt yourself. And he's like, where is this coming from? It's coming from your father. Where are these desires coming from? They're not even your desires. They are his desires he is putting in you. You are like a puppet on a string and you don't even know it. He is controlling you with his thoughts, his ideas, and his suggestions so that your actions are based off of an ideology that he gave you. And I'm telling you, the more I study this in Scripture, the more I see it is all around us and we don't even see it. Paul wrote unto Timothy, and he said in the last days, he said, you need to be careful. And it's like, well, why do we need to be careful? He said, there will come deceitful spirits who will give the world doctrines of devils. Now, doctrine is a very strong word. Uh, You know, it's like doctrine. That just simply means teaching. Uh, And we see this happen all the time in our culture, and we don't even see it's the enemy. I'll give you an example. Cancel. Cancel culture. Where did that come from? Um, did in, does any of that, just, just to the rookie, if you're a rookie believer, does anything about that sound like Jesus? That someone could send to the point that God would cancel them 
Give them no shot to repent. Give them no shot to change. Give no shot for redemption. Uh, It got so extreme that a couple of weeks ago or months ago now, uh, I had a just desire to sing the Hillsong song, Oceans. Uh, because we were talking about faith and believing to like spirit lead me where my trust is well out borders where I step upon the waters. And of course, all this stuff has come out about Hillsong now. And someone said, did you watch the documentary? No. And somebody says, well, why wouldn't you watch it? Why would I want to judge somebody else's servant? Why would I want to, to, to see Noah's drunkenness? Why would I not want to walk in like the other three brothers and cover that up? Why, why would I not be, be touched with a heart of compassion and mercy for someone else who has fallen? And so we were going to, to sing, you know, that song. And somebody's like, do you really want to sing it? I'm like, well, why wouldn't we sing it? They're like, it's from Hillsong. And I'm like, yeah. And they said, well, everything that's gone on. I said, well, I don't know everything that's gone on. But I said, do you really want to go down that route? Because I said, if we do, we're going to have to cancel Psalms, like the whole book of Psalms. Like, literally at all. Like, and don't ever read anything David ever wrote again. And when I say David, I mean like David, David. Or what about Peter? Like, you, you're going to not read First and Second Peter because he denied Jesus? Like, literally. Walked with him for three years. Saw him raise the dead. And it's like, I don't even know him. Are we going to cancel him? We're going to cancel John because he wanted to call down, like he's on record of like, let's call down lightning and just like crush them all. Are we going to cancel him? Where did this spirit come from? Where did that teaching, that doctrine, that idea, that suggestion come from? I'll tell you who it came from. The devil. And he gets in the lives of people. Why? Because what would hurt God so much? To think that one of his children is ostracized so much because of what they did that they are no longer useful in the earth for anything that could ever come from them again. Uh, To watch someone be outcast in that way. With nobody looking. You who are, we're literally trained as Christians. His doctrine is, you who are spiritual, go restore such a one who is called into sin. Like, this is literally the doctrine of Christ, is is to come, and though our sins be red like scarlet, believe that his blood is actually able to make us whiter than snow. But where does this doctrine come from? And it leads the whole world astray. Not just the world, it leads God's children astray. I'll give you another one that's real popular right now, um, that that I just see popping up all the time, and it's like, don't, what are we doing here? Uh, You know, in the, the, the Old Testament, you see God tells his people, there's a promised land for you, a land that flows with milk and honey. And you know, they struggled to get in it and that kind of thing, but right before they're about to get in it, they're like, let's send 12 spies into the land. And the spies come back with literally like a stick between them. And there's a cluster of grapes that is like just as big as their body. Like they're having to carry a cluster of grapes on their shoulders. And they walk in and they're like, look at the provision. And they're like, wow, like that's where we're going. And they're like, nope, it's for everybody else. It's there, but you can't have it. Why can't you have it? Well, you're like a grasshopper. And the system, it's all built where you can't prosper in it. There's walled cities there, and there's giants, so don't even try. And you know what God called that? Not a bad report. You know what he called it? An evil report. But why? Because it took God's people out of God's plan. And I can't tell you how many news articles I've heard recently that says, you know what, don't even try. Don't even try to like get ahead. Because inflation and interest rates and all of these other things, they're just so stacked against this generation that none of these rules apply to anyone anymore. And God is like, what about 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that I can make all grace abound towards you? What about Malachi chapter 3 that I could open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you don't have room enough to receive? What about you could go fishing and catch the whole lake and, and it could be filled with, with so much that like before you had nothing, but now because of Jesus, you caught everything. 
everything. What about you going fishing, catching a fish that actually has tax money in it so you can pay your bills? Like, what about any of these things that Jesus teaches us can be done that puts faith in our hearts? But see, where, do, where does this doctrine in mass come from? Then you see on the other side of this, people who, who have an abundance of possessions and they're selling the idea that the possessions will make you happier if you just get this new upgrade. And like literally the teaching of Jesus is man's life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Uh, like my life doesn't consist of that. And if you try to make your life consist of that, you pierce your heart through with sorrow after sorrow. And so we have all of this teaching in the world that is so counterculture about marriage, uh, about family, and what it looks like, about money and how to handle it. And most of it is all, we're like, well, that's in the world. I know, but where did the world get it? You are of your father, the devil, and the desires that you have in you, those desires are not just in you. They are in you because the devil has put thoughts, suggestions, and ideas in your heart. And if you don't know the truth, you will believe the lie. And if you believe the lie, it will limit your relationship with God. It'll limit your relationship with yourself, and it will affect you in life because your truth is not based off of God's, which will set you free, your truth is built off of a lie which will take you into bondage. And, and so out of this, our journey and, and our, our walk with the Lord is a life where we are ever submitting our life to God's word. Now this is more than just general beliefs and general teaching. Uh, we see Satan come in the book of Acts to Ananias and Sapphira. They don't even know they have an enemy. And he puts it in their heart to lie. And it cost them. Uh, we see with Judas, uh, he wasn't just like selfish. Uh, Satan targeted him, not with like a general doctrine that the whole world was being indoctrinated in, but with a very specific one that he could sell Jesus. Most theologians agree that Judas had seen Jesus try to be killed many times and he walked right through it. If you've ever read the life of Jesus, many people tried to kill Jesus. Why? They were of their father, the devil. And so out of this, he's literally trying to be killed all the time. But many times he just walks right through him. No harm comes. And so Judas in his mind thinks uh, that I can sell him, but he'll do what he always does. He'll get away. And I can pocket like, you know, silver. We'll be good. Where is this thought coming from? Satan put it in his heart. And then all of a sudden, he kisses Jesus, and they come, and he does not walk right past them. And Judas is like, whoa, 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 take the money back. And they're like, nope. And then he goes out, and he hangs himself. Well, where did that idea come from? We see in Peter's life, uh, Jesus is going to the cross, and he's like, Lord, pity yourself. Feel sorry for yourself. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Jesus is like, get thee behind me, Satan. Not Peter, Satan. I guarantee you in that moment, Peter had no idea the enemy was there. Jesus later tells, tells Peter, he's like, Peter, I've been praying for you, and the whole time I see Satan in operation in your life, and he's trying to sift you like wheat. And before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And the whole time Peter's denying Jesus, I guarantee you he thought it was just him. But there was somebody in his life who was warring against him. Someone in his life who was giving him thoughts, ideas, and suggestions targeted to his mind and targeted to his heart to take his life off track. And if you don't see the devil, you will not resist him. And like Peter, you run the risk of being sifted. Like Judas, you run the risk of being sifted. Like Ananias and Sapphira, you run the risk of being sifted. And so, like, I've seen this happen so many times, but I'll tell you, one of the times that made me angriest was when it happened to my wife. So I told that story today um, about, at the, the 1130 service, about um, a little over a year ago, I could sense something is different. I could just sense it. Uh, now, the more you walk in the Spirit, the more you're aware of spiritual things. And the more you give yourself over to spiritual things, the more spiritual things become uh, alive to you. Now, one of the, the things that I'm a big believer in is that as a husband, I am my wife's husband. I'm not her pastor. Uh, I'm not, if she wants me to be her pastor, she can make me that. But just because I am a pastor doesn't mean 
I'm hers. It's a choice she's going to have to make. Uh, but I am her husband, and so it's not my job to, to fix her. It's my job to help her. But I could see, like, my wife had always been marked by her joy. Like, literally, Peppy, she lives up to that label. Uh, Peppy is not her given name. Her name is Stephanie. But she was labeled Peppy because of her spirit and because of who she was and what it is. And that's what she's lived up to. I mean, like, my wife taught me how to have joy. I didn't even, I thought joy was like a luxury. Like, if you have it, great. If you don't, it's okay. You don't really need it. You know, that kind of thing. When we got married, I did not own a pair of shorts or jeans. That's how serious I was, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So out of that, uh, my wife comes in. And she transformed my life, like genuinely, just her joy and her zeal and her laughter and just changed me from the inside out. But when COVID happened, um, you know, all of those things, I think we were all under different stressors. I was under a different stressor and I was very busy with the church because at the same time of navigating the church through COVID, uh, we also began expanding into campuses. And then while expanding into campuses, we also had a changeover of staff. And so now I've got new leaders I'm having to train and new projects I'm having to do and old jobs I'm taking on, which made me very busy. And so out of that, I was praying um, in this time and the Lord told me, make Pep a priority. Make Pep a priority. Pray over her. Speak God's word over her. And sad to say, I did not. Not in the way that I should have. Like the cares of this world and all that was going on in my life. And and our marriage has always been like the strongest thing in my life. I say it all the time. If I could give you anything other than Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it would be a marriage like, like mine. I don't say that to brag. I mean that just as a truth. Like it's been a gift to me. But I, I, I knew by the spirit of like I need to cover her with prayer. I didn't know why. But I, I knew I needed to. Uh, but my attention just got on these other things. I mean, you, you got to pray for a church. And you need wisdom on what to do with campuses. You need wisdom on, like, we can't have church and we're having a video stream. And how do you do Easter when you can't do Easter? Like, all of those kinds of things. And so we're navigating through all of this change and all of this growth. All of it good, but all of it a lot. And, and during the same time, my kids are getting older. And so I'm working more, my kids are getting older, and my wife is here, and Satan begins to attack her identity. And my wife, for, ever since I met her, ever since she was, you know, we got married when, when she was 18, she turned 19 a couple of weeks later. Ever since I've known her, family has been all she's ever wanted. And that matches my value system because, honestly, it's been all I ever wanted. All of this is icing on the cake. But what I wanted was family. And so out of that, our identity, six months into marriage, she was pregnant. And then three months after she was pregnant, she was pregnant again. Um, And so our whole identity was built off of family. And it's reflected in, in, in what I'm experiencing today and the quality of it. But as my kids got older and older, they began to need her less and less. Um, you know, they, they begin to kind of morph over into this. And I had always told Pep, like, you can do as much or as little in the church as you want. Because, just because you're my wife, you're not obligated to do anything. You're not even obligated to come to church. And somebody says, are you serious? Yes, that's what I told her. Now, if she didn't come to church, that would not be a professional problem for me. Because, you know, that's, that's not one of those things I'm building that on. It would be a marital issue. And I told her that. I'm like, if you don't come to church, it's a marital issue. Uh, and we'll talk about that. But thank God she always wanted to. Uh, and that type of thing. She loves it. But, you know, it's not like one of these typical things. In fact, we were just with a whole bunch of pastors. They're like, you don't go to every service? I'm like, well, one, we do four every Sunday, uh, you know, and that type of thing. And we got multiple campuses. But then, two, uh, her value system is I'll come to the 10 and I'll leave after that and I'll have lunch. So when my husband comes home, we can have a family meal. And I'm like, I like that more. Um, And out of that, like, it doesn't have to be all of these made-up rules that other people play by. But all of her identity was in that moment, in family. And the family is getting uh, older. The kids are getting less dependent, and work for me is taking on more. And all of a sudden, the enemy came in, into that gap with a specific... Now, I don't want you to just see her. I want you to see you. 
with a specific temptation. Because when the enemy came for Jesus, it, listen to me, when the enemy came for Jesus, it's when he was touching his flesh. And somebody says, what do you mean by that? He didn't tempt him until he was hungry. And when he touched his flesh, where his flesh is longing for something that he does not have, the enemy came into his life. And when you get in one of those moments where your flesh is hungry for something, it could be marriage, it could be identity, it could be for a job, it could be something in your life that you're looking for, and you get hungry and you begin to touch your flesh, he is immediately going to come for that area. And so she gets hungry of, what's my identity? And the enemy comes in with a lie. And the lie is, is you're not useful. You were useful in this season, but look, now your kids don't need you. Now your husband doesn't need you. What are you good for? And she said at first the lie was so apparent, like it was just so real uh, that it was a lie. And it's like, shut up. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, like I'm, 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 I've got so many things I'm useful for. And so, but then it came again. And then it came again. And then the kids don't need help with homework. And then all of these other types of things are, are coming. And we're, we're talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is now backing up the lie. Because Satan's goal is for the world to reinforce the lie that he is selling. And so now the world is backing up the lie. And she said, here's what happened. She said, the, the lie became a thought. And now I find myself thinking that thought all the time. And that thought is there. And I know it's a lie, but I'm thinking it. I'm not resisting the lie anymore. I'm thinking it. And then she said, I woke up one morning, and it's like that lie was my truth. Of I'm worthless. There's nothing I'm bringing. Nobody needs me. That this is, this is not like something that I'm, I'm, I'm good at. And so even with like design in the house, it's like, well, get somebody else to do it. I don't know what I'm doing there. What do you want for dinner? Well, just pick up whatever you want. It's like, you would know more. What, I'm like, and I'm seeing all of this going on. I'm like, what is going on? But I, I'm not wanting to wade over into it um, and, and just like con- confront it. But finally, I'm, I'm like, you know, okay, enough. Because I, I began to see the enemy. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I began to see the enemy. And finally, I sat down, and like I said this, this morning, I'm like, what is going on in your life? Something's not right, and I need, I need to know what it is. If it's something in me, if it's something... And she didn't say, like, the enemy told me or any of these kinds of things. She just said, I'm worthless. What do I add? When I met my wife, she cleaned home for, for a living. She was a maid. And she's like, I'm, I'm right back where I started. And she's like, after all these years, I'm right back in that same place. And this is all I am. And I'm like, what? This is all you, what? What you think about God, what you think about yourself, how you go about living your life. What? And she begins to, to express all these things of like the kids, they don't need me anymore. Like they go off to school, they're making good grades, they don't need me anymore. And, and you like, I, I was so thankful of like how it started of like I didn't have all of these pressures of like being the, the pastor's wife that came like that. Because a, a lot of our married friends, they just, they don't enjoy it. And my mom was a pastor's wife and like all of those kinds of things. So I have particular wounds and things that I saw there that I'm like, I'm not repeating that. Um, like we're not going to find our identity in that. And, and so anyway, like, but I, I did all these things, but the enemy used each one of these things to reinforce the world, reinforcing the lie until the lie became the truth. And so I just grabbed her, and it evolved over into what I said today of, like, what do you need from me? And basically what it, what it was is I need an identity. And I pulled out all the prophecies that the Lord had given her because one of the things that you need to understand is Paul teaches Timothy, you're in a fight, man. You are in a fight. 
And the way you fight is you go to war with the prophecies that were spoken over you. The words and the teaching and the doctrine and the ideology God has about you. And I showed her all of these things of how there is no wife better than you, in my opinion. She's mine. I can say that. Uh, but, but out of that, I'm like, you, you are, I can't imagine any wife being more valuable than you are to me. And when you look at our kids, babe, I said, you look at our kids, their love for Jesus, it came from you. What you put into these kids, the time you invested in them, the prayer that you prayed over them, them waking up every morning and seeing you on that sofa doing your morning devotional, you have changed their life. But I said, you give this statement, and we say it all the time, that the greatest thing we'll do in life is not something we do, but someone we raise. And I said, we believe that so strongly. But I said, I want you to see the change that, that needs to switch in your own life. Because I really believe you are designed by God to not just be a mom, but you are designed by, by, by God to teach other people how to pray for their children, how to correct their children, how to help their husbands, how to pray over husbands. Every time you speak and every time you open up your mouth, you help people every time that you do. And Satan would love to tell you all of this is in vain and all of this is there, but listen to God's truth. Everything you have ever learned in your life from marriage, God is going to use to help other people in their marriage and in their families. Begin to give her God's identity for her. And she said, and I woke up one morning and she said, it was like the lie unraveled. And she said, I, I saw how that, that thought came into my heart. I saw the enemy behind it, and I made a decision. No, sir. When, when Jesus was being tempted from the devil, what did he do? He picked up God's truth. And with every one of Satan's lies, he began to combat it with God's truth about him. And what we have today is we have literally believers who don't know this at all. And because we don't know this, we are falling for his lies about everything. And if we are going to win this battle against the enemy, we have to get God's word in our hearts and God's word in our mouths. We need God's word in our hearts so that when the lie comes, we recognize and be like, what? No, God's favor is on me. It's all going to be okay. Psalms 112, I don't fear bad news. Like, you know, all this thought of like, you're not going to make it. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He'll make a way where there is no way. You're not going to make it through this. No, God will split a sea if he has to split a sea. He did it for the Israelites. He'll do it for me. You've got to know the word of God strong enough so that when the lie comes, you attack it with the truth and say, I will not let you near my heart, life, mind. No, in Jesus' name. But you can't attack. You won't even recognize the lie unless you get in the truth. And when this gets in your heart, when you sense something that comes against God's word that you speak up immediately and say nope this is what God says about me this is what God says about himself and this is what God says I am to do with my life in Mark 4 well we'll pick up with that next week Next week, next week. You come back, I'll come back. One of the things I'm trying to work on is preaching shorter, genuinely. Uh, but the problem is, I'm enjoying God's Word so much, I've got too much material. Uh, so, so, but in, in, in all seriousness, before we worship, and team, you can come back up, and we'll end in, in song and, and in worship. What lie has the enemy told you? Maybe it is a general lie. Something that the news has so indoctrinated you that there is fear there. Fear about what? The economy, the future, war, rumors of wars, famine, not enough, whatever it may be. And it goes counterculture to how many Psalms? We'll just go with the one we probably all know, Psalms 23. 
pull away from the lie. Get in God's truth. Maybe it's a very specific lie. And maybe the lie is you are unwanted or you're not seen or you'll never find love. Uh, You'll never have children. Um, That was a lie Satan came to Sarah with. What is the lie that Satan has tried to sow into your heart? You'll never be free. You'll be just like your father. See him. See him. And stand against him with the truth of God's word in your heart and in your mouth. And for every lie, combat it with truth. Amen. Father, we come before you. We love you. And we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. that your Holy Spirit will show up every single lie. And that our hearts will be more surrendered to your truth than ever before. Father, we desire to have the mind of Christ. We want to see the world as you see the world. We want to see ourselves as you see us. And so, Father, we just thank you, even as we're we're here in worship, that your Holy Spirit would just show us the lie. Show us the limitation. Show us the insecurity. And by his power, remove that from our hearts and from our lives. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship the Lord tonight.